0: Amen. All right. So, uh, per my wife, I have to hand these out at the beginning. So I don't know how I'm going to do on the breaking them up this time, but I feel like I did a little bit better. So you don't. She gets them all. You don't get any, Jessica. Oh, and this whole time, Miss Coke was just sitting there right there for me. Is it really? All right. All right. One of these is empty and one of them's warm. All right. Thank you. What kind did I get? <laughs> okay, thank you, Brian. You did good. Appreciate it. Yeah, perfect. All right. So we've dealt with announcements, but one one point. This is the third week in our uh, in our victory in Exodus. You know, we do three weeks, and then we kind of. Break it up. So next week, we're going to do our Q&A topic, right? We're doing, going to do a Q&A topic. And then um, we'll have the, um, the unified service. So we won't have class on Christmas. And then the next week is the end of Mission Focus. And as of now, we're going to have a guest speaker. And I'm excited about that guest speaker. Uh, I'm personally excited to hear from him. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit uh, tumultuous in class for the next, uh, you know, few, few weeks. I'm sorry? Uh, Matt, a guy named Matt Brocker. Uh, he is the father-husband of the folks that are staying with us. Matt is a church in Columbus, Ohio out of uh new philadelphia ohio and um he's a good dude and i'm excited to hear him speak uh that's the plan as of now so yeah no it'll be good so today we're gonna see can you all see that we had to move the tv can you guys see this okay victory in response now we're we've been overlapping just a little bit we haven't taken each plague individually to look at it because the, each plague is actually just a series of, of, of cyclical opportunities for Moses to declare the, Lord, uh, declare the word of the Lord, Moses, uh, Pharaoh to respond to the word of the Lord, in some cases he says he will and doesn't, etc. But I've tried to pull out the situations that, that differentiate right the different plagues so we've seen how Israel was there was a beginning of a provision or protection uh, in Goshen right that, that, that there was a point at which the magicians were able to replicate it and then they were unable to so I'm trying to pull out these topics and today we're going to pull out uh, a, a new topic that is very very I think very important Somewhat overlooked in this plague, not completely overlooked, uh, but, uh, you know, so the situation, a lot of words on the screen. I apologize for that, but it is Exodus 9, Exodus chapter 9. Um, I put that up there because not everybody has uh, a Bible in front of them. Uh, I'll read it. Uh, Exodus 913 through 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thine servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now, I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, that thou sh- and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And and in very and in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for thee to uh, to to show thee my power, that my name may be declared through all the earth. I mean, this this is a very clear. Uh, opportunity for God to show himself and as yet exaltest thou thyself against my people that thou will not let them go behold tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail such as had not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof even until now send thou er, therefore now and gather thy cattle so overlapping from, from last week and all that thou hast in the field for upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. So I don't know if you caught this, but this is two, two plagues in one. It was a reference to an old commercial, two, two somethings in one. I don't remember. Does anybody remember that commercial? It's like two, two somethings. Huh? Was it? Two gum, maybe? I don't know, but it was two, two plagues for the price of one. So what we've got here, and I put this oh, I put these blocks on here, supposed to be kind of yellow and green. Down to verse eighteen, this is the plague of the pestilence. And then starting in verse eighteen, it's very interesting. He says, Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail. So the pestilence plague and the hail plague are hard fast to one another okay most of these plagues and this cycle has been an opportunity for pharaoh to respond there's time they're not happening just like all the plagues didn't happen in a week kind of thing, right? There's at least some reason to believe there's been some time. Uh, even we saw a few weeks back, we saw that Pharaoh allowed one of the plagues to last an extra day um, because he didn't want to deal with, uh, deal with it. So there's two plagues going on here in this, in this kind of one spoken word from the Lord to Moses. So here's our chart again, and this is where we sit today the boils or the pestilence, and the hail. These two are considered two different plagues. And I've been trying to add on to this each week. I take a few things off, but trying to add on to this chart. And if anybody ever wants these, like, A, you should be able to download them from the the sermons page on the MBT website, get to a whole heart, and you can get to the, actually, you can download the PowerPoint in addition to the PDFs of them. But... Uh, but if you want it easier or differently, that's fine. But we've seen the separation of the children of Goshen, the, the magicians not able to stand. But what's interesting is this hail plague and then the plague of the death of the firstborn are the first, what I'm calling, coining the term conditional plagues. Okay, Because if you bring everything in from outside, the hail's not going to get to it. It's the first conditional plague. Everything up to this point has just happened around. Now there's been some protection for the children of Israel, but it's the first time somebody could respond to the threat of a plague, to the judgment of a plague, to the impending, uh, you know, judgment, to the impending problem associated with the plague. And I think that's very important. And and so we need to look at some specific concepts here. The first is fearing the word of the Lord. Notice in Exodus 19, or 9 rather, 20 through 21, he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle to flee into the houses. So the word of the plague coming was published by Moses. And then there was an opportunity for a response. But that response was driven by a word, fear. Had a discussion, I think it was last week, with somebody about the concept of fear. And it's an interesting, it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting word because we generally think of horror flicks when we think of the word fear. Or we think of cancer when we think of the word fear, right? Something that we're scared of, if you will, right? But the word, the, the word actually means more than that it really means something that you know has power over you that's why horror flicks like don't go in that closet you know it's like that commercial is at Geico we're gonna hide behind the chainsaws why would we get in the running card let's hide in the attic or the cemetery right it because because people in in horror movies don't make wise choices (laughs) so it's because that which in the horror film has a power over you that you're not able to get away from, to overcome. Like, I'm waiting for the, for, for you know, Jason or Freddie to walk up and somebody do the old mow and curl, like, bah, right in the eyes, right? I mean, oh, you know, you, you know, the problem is these, they're presented as having this, this almost godlike, right, power over you. So the only thing you can do is flee or die, Right. And that's the kind of the fear. Well, I didn't catch that. What? And fall down. On oh, and fall down. Right, right, right. Trip. Right. And 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 you're they're walking like this, and you're running, but they're always this far behind you. So, but fear, fear is an important concept because it's like a really healthy respect a really healthy respect for something. Notice in Proverbs 13, 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandments shall be rewarded. So this is not like, oh no, I, should, I shouldn't read the commandments because they're scary. No, it's that you should have a healthy respect for them. You should put them where they are in having this authority over you, right? The same in Acts 13, 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. If you want to understand, if you want to have a proper relationship with the Lord, you need to fear him. But not as the horror fleck bad guy that is going to smite you and stab you or kill you but the one who has an authority over you that has power, so you do need to respect him and reverence him. But when you do, according to Acts 13, to you the word of this salvation is sent. Because if you respect the Lord, if you adequately fear the Lord, he can communicate his truth to you. By faith, in Hebrews eleven seven, Noah, being warned of God of things not, uh, not seen as yet, moved with fear and built a boat. And I don't know if that place in Kentucky is the actual size, but if you've been there, it's pretty darn big. You don't move with fear and build a boat that big if you define fear as being scared. You build a boat that big if you trust and you reverence and you respect and you know and you put the one who spoke in his proper place as God. Even Rahab, I just added here because there 's a lot of verses in, in Joshua two nine listen to this in verses uh, two nine through eleven and she said unto the men, the spies that are staying with her, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that and that your terror has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of this land faint because of you. we are in fact scared of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what and what ye did to the two kings of Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. By the way, God did all these things, right? She's attributing it to the children of Israel, but we know God, right? And as soon as we heard that these king uh, had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above all, or above and in earth beneath. Like, we know God's able to do incredible things and we fear him. Now, there's definitely a component of scared because they're going to try to go against him, right? But having a good, healthy fear of the Lord is really important. In In our plagues scenario, he that feared the Lord, the word of the Lord, just brought his stuff inside just brought his cattle in, just brought it in under the roof, under the protection of the barn or whatever. Now I'm sure there were some people that maybe didn't have all the the housing situation that others did and they had to bring them into the to the sleeping arrangements or whatever but if they feared the Lord they did that. Now what's interesting is there are some, presumably the children of Israel, trust and feared the Lord right there was protection there probably I mean either distinct because it didn't wasn't going to hail or because they trusted the Lord one of the two and uh, going into it and then those that were in the among the servants of Pharaoh made this decision I mean after this many plagues I'm starting to believe God's sitting on the throne I mean, could you imagine being just the average, like everybody when they're reincarnated, they're Cleopatra or some Caesar or something, like, there ain't nobody that's like, yeah, I was, my former life, I was in Egypt during the plagues, and let me tell you, like, there were frogs everywhere, and locusts, and then the river, like, nobody's just this average Joe, I'm I'm sure they didn't, like, I mean, it wasn't Joe, wasn't their name, but they're average people in Egypt during the plague, I would have been like, enough already. So when the word of the Lord comes that you could avoid the plague that was coming, sign me up. I'm done already. I'm done with these things. So the fearing the word of the Lord is important. And then believing the word of the Lord. Notice in Exodus 9.21, so that same passage, and he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and cattle in the field. Now this word regarded is kind of an interesting word. It's actually two Hebrew words. So so if you, so don't, don't panic. We don't have a lot of time to talk about Bible translation today. Okay, but there are, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, uh, you know on a package of a product you know it'll have the English and then it'll have Spanish or French and there's a different number of words to say the same thing. In some cases there's two English words and one, let's say, Spanish word. Sometimes there's one English word and it takes two or sometimes three Spanish words, right? So that's just how language is. There are two words here. This first one that, mean, that that's I think it's lebe, I think is actually how you pronounce it or libe. It, which means mind or your heart or your understanding, your wisdom to consider something and then sum to set or place or put, uh, to put, put somewhere to care or appoint. Those two words le, lebe and sum together became the English word regarded in this translation in the King James translation. So I put here, it's, it's to kind of take it to heart. To take it to heart, it, I, we don't say that kind of take say that much anymore. But when somebody's like, "Man, what they said, man, I, man, I really took that to heart," and I knew I needed to do something because of what they said. That's kind of the best sentiment that I can come up with: is that they they when they heard the word of the Lord, they took it to heart, they regarded it. They did, that didn't just mean they heard it and oh, I regard that. You know, it's like. That meant they took it to heart, and that's going to subsequently produce our third bullet in just a moment, or a third point, which is the, the action. But notice, uh, I pulled out, uh, just because it's one of my favorite verses, Psalm 119.10, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. The verse that we've associated with this, with this fellowship. This whole heart concept or Leb, right? It's it's my mind, my heart, my understanding, I'm gonna consider it. Even in Ezekiel forty, verse four, and the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears. I, when I read that verse I always think about a kid. Can I see that? And they put out their hands. We don't see with our hands, right? Right? And you probably heard you maybe even said that to a kid before. We don't see with our hands, but look at this. Behold, The Son of Man, behold with thine eyes, hear with thine ears, and then notice, set, sum, to to set in place, to to really uh, appoint, to care for it, set thine heart, that leb, upon all that I shall show thee. Regard it. Take it serious. Take it to heart. That is really important. Because if you don't believe the word of the Lord, you're going to leave your cattle out in the field and they're going to die. There's going to be consequences if you don't regard, you don't take to heart, if you don't believe the word of God. There's consequences. I, I loved what Miller said today. The Bible is an incredibly frustrating book until you just believe it. I mean, Amen. Because it just constantly reminds you of what you are not. People say it's just a book of rules of, of don'ts. No, it's not. It's far from that. You haven't read it if that's your position. You haven't read it. It's, it's some of that, but it's also some of what you can't be. And you can't be holy without a Savior. It's very, very clear. God's love... Notice this. God's love is, is unconditional. People say that all the time, and I believe it. God's love is unconditional, but his offer of salvation is actually very conditional. It's very conditional. His love means that he will provide an offer of salvation. But you cannot just assume that because God loves me, I'm fine with him. His, his salvation is very conditional. I've got a chart up here. Again, we don't have like Bible translation and dispensational theology. Way too much to fit into one class, right? Probably maybe shouldn't have even touched on it. But it's very important to note that God deals with people differently through the ages. He dealt differently with Adam and Eve, then he dealt with Moses, then he dealt with Noah. Dealt with Moses and Abraham and dealt with the Old Testament saints, right? And the and the, under the law, how he deals with us, it's different. God is consistent, but he deals with his children differently at different ages. Surprise, surprise. When my 17-year-old son, who's bigger than me, can lift more than me, is faster than me, and for all intents and purposes is more, both of my kids, more of a man, if you will, like, I'm not sure I could take him except I would fight I wouldn't fight fair. I would like I would grab them in places you're not supposed to grab people when you fight because that's the only thing I got, right? Because that's how I would fight, because I don't care, and they would be like, ooh, girl, stop, and I'd be like, I won. Okay? My son if he if he lies to me, if he lies to me today, either one of my sons. I am probably not going to be like, meet me in the bathroom, you're getting a spanking. But I definitely would have done that if they were six. Does that mean I'm different? No. Does that mean I love my kids differently than, than I do now? No. I have to deal with my kids differently based on their age. Right? I have to meet out judgment. I have to put different conditions on the relationship because of how, how old they are in this example God does the exact same thing through history not that we're getting older as people if you will or more mature as people but he dealt with people differently at different points in time he is consistent but every one of these situations whether you look at, at the garden they had to keep the garden and not eat of the tree we're like that's easy <laughs> I could do that well actually probably not you would have failed right okay then in conscience you just had to do good and just not be succumbed to all the craziness that was going on that's easy i could do that probably not (laughs) not within that age and i'm not going to keep doing that you're you're, right now you're thinking is he going to do that for every (laughs) one of these but we get down to the grace to the church age and all you have to do is get saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. That's easy. I can do that. But not everybody does. Right. Not everybody does. By a long shot. Not everybody does. So his love is, is unconditional. But his offer of salvation is very conditional. In this plague. It was bring your stuff in. And those who regarded. That feared the word of the Lord and regarded it put it in their heart and said I need to act on this I need to do something so that brings us to our next point acting on the word of the Lord same same two verses right so I'm not going to read them again but he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and cattle in the field you either brought them in or you didn't you made a choice well I'm not I don't I don't know about God I'm just I'm just not going to make a choice well you're making a choice You're making a choice if you're leaving your cattle in the field. And what's really interesting is these same two Hebrew words, sum and lebe, I think, again, I'm not sure exactly how to say it, appear twice in other scriptures and they're really, really illustrative, really communicate how to do this right or wrong. The good example is Daniel chapter 1 in verse 8. But Daniel purposed, he set, he determined in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. See, Daniel... Daniel is so good at discipline over his own body, they've even got diets and fasts named after him because he purposed in his heart. Now, I can't seem to do that. I purpose in my heart and then up pops chocolate cake. And I got to have it. I got to have it. But Daniel purposed in his heart that this is the line and I am not willing to cross it. But notice in Zechariah seven twelve, yea, they made... They determined, they set their hearts as an adamant stone like against it, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. They actually did the exact opposite. They were like, that God ain't going to talk to me. Not like that. Doesn't he know who I am? I am a man, I'm 40, write about me. Some of you get that, some of you don't. Look it up. Gundy, Gundy, Mike Gundy, coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys is frustrated at the media because they're writing about his players and in a media press conference he says, I'm a man, I'm 40, write about me. It's hilarious. You gotta go look at it. <laughs> so that's become a thing in our home. If things aren't going the way I want, I'm like, I might look at my, I'm a man! I'm forty. Write <laughs> about me. Forty, <laughs> 40 plus some. And some but that's what they're doing to God. I'm a man. Don't you know? I'm not gonna sub, I'm not gonna submit myself to you. I'm gonna set my heart. As an adamant stone. Oof. Oof. Yikes. It's like. State, dude. Yeah. You, you, you were with me. It took, you, it took you a minute. But you were there. He now has a mullet. Full blown mullet. I don't endorse that necessarily. But that's beside the point. All right. He's tried. He has in the past. I already told you he could beat me up in a fight. All right. So victory principle number one. Set your heart on the Lord. Even when you don't feel like it. Oh Lord, you're telling me i got to bring the cows into the living room? No, but they're going to die. You don't have to. Let me be very clear on that. You don't have to obey the word of the Lord. There's just consequences if you don't. There's just consequences. So it brings us to the, to the victory here. The victory. In Exodus 9, 28, 27 to 28. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Wow. I mean, that sounds like if you hadn't read and didn't know the rest of Exodus, you'd think like, finally, this is it. They're going to get out of Egypt. Now, not quite there because Pharaoh's Pharaoh. Notice in 934. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more. And hardened his heart, he and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So in the matter of some fairly short period of time, probably not minutes, but maybe hours, Pharaoh goes from crying uh, as as one pastor I used to be under says, sling snot at the altar, you know, coming forward just weeping because he's sinned i'm a sinner, everybody I know are sinners we're wicked in the sight of God, please stop God don't and then it's like oh it's not it's, it's pretty bright out it's sunny okay well, you can't leave after all he' sinned yet more he doubled down on it so why would a slip back into sin be a victory? so hear me out because I put this under the category of victory first is that the the, the The understanding of the sin. I have sinned. Now believe it or not, this is the first mention of the word sinned, past tense, in scripture. Now it's not the first mention of sin. That appears way back in Genesis, early in Genesis, right? Three, I think. Right, But it's the first time the past tense or retrospective of consideration of your actions as sin has occurred. Which is just really interesting to me. At least this word, this version of it, right? In Exodus ten sixteen, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said unto um, said un, um, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. He does it again. He says it in Exodus ten, in Exodus thirty uh, two verse thirty, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. In Exodus thirty two and verse thirty one, and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh this people have sinned a great sin it's the ability to look back and realize that your decision your action was in fact wrong and that's like as as <sighs> look I there have been twice two times in my marriage where I've been wrong <laughs> both times I've apologized for them. <laughs> both of them and one of the times I was mistaken I wasn't even actually wrong but by definition I was still wrong now if you believe that I have some oceanfront property in Arizona and a bridge to sell you okay cuz I've I've made I've, I'm more than twice this morning. <laughs> um, all right so so here's the deal the ability to say I have sinned I'm sorry and that, that, that's what has to happen between us, right? I have to reconcile the relationship by saying, I'm sorry. The reconciliation of the relationship with the Lord is, I have to acknowledge that my actions didn't align with his expectations. His word, what he's put in front of me, etc. Now, I don't go to Michelle and say, I had sinned. I, at least I don't say that against, to, to her. I don't generally say, I have sinned against you. I guess it's possible I could. But... I have sinned against God and maybe done something wrong to you. I have to keep that I have to keep that account short. I apologize for things that aren't even problems sometimes just to make sure we're good. And that creates a different <laughs> frustration sometimes. <laughs> but notice also in Leviticus as the story, as the verses continue, let him then then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. You want to deal with your sin? You need an offering. You need a sacrifice. Well, for her uh, flowers are a kind word, but that doesn't get very far with the Lord. I mean the last time I saw somebody take uh, fruit of the ground and try to offer it to the Lord, it didn't didn't work. I actually think we're gonna talk yeah, we're gonna talk about that in just a second. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Similarly in 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Like every one of us is in the same place Moses or uh, Pharaoh was. Like I've sinned. I'm wicked. I've done something wrong before an almighty holy God. So, Our victory principle number two today, identification of sin in your life is the first step to restoration. How you deal with it is a second battle. It's a second step. What do they say when people have addictions? uh, Acknowledging it is the first step. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging it is the first step. Because you can't fix something that you don't think is wrong. Okay, I can't restore a relationship with the Lord that I don't think is wrong. Even though the relationship is, is, is disjointed, I can't restore it if I think this, this form of the relationship is fine. So I have to identify sin as a first step to restoration. And the responses to sin, which will bring us through the rest of our study today, the responses to sin can really be varied. They can be temporary. So notice in Exodus 9. In our passage. And Moses said unto him. As soon as I'm gone out of the city. I will spread my hands unto the Lord. And the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail. That thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants. I know that ye will not yet fear. Uh, You will. Not yet, fear the Lord God. Moses knew. Pharaoh verbalized with his mouth, I've sinned. I and my people, we're all wicked. Stop it. Stop the thunderings. Stop the hail. And Moses' response was, I'm going to go out and do that. And God's going to hold you to your words. But I don't believe you. I was talking with somebody about a a broken relationship not, not too long ago. I was talking with somebody about a broken relationship. And I was challenging them to keep the door open, if you will. Okay? Doesn't mean you have to welcome someone in who is not repentant. But keep the door open. Keep the window open. However you want to use the illustration. Because when they repent, and we're going to trust the Lord that they repent, it will be obvious. They won't just say, I'm sorry I did that again. You'll probably look like Moses. I don't know. I think you are going to sin again. When somebody is genuinely broken, the Spirit bears witness of that. When somebody is genuinely broken, not just sorry, certainly not just sorry they got caught, when someone is genuinely broken, you're going to know. In 934, and when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he yet he sinned yet more. We talked about this and, and read this, and hardened his heart, and he and his servants. Sin, response to sin can be temporary. People can say they've sinned. They can say those things just to get out of the bad situation they're in. We also see it, <clears throat> response to sin can be damning. Cain, in Genesis 4, uh, this is what I was touching on a few minutes ago, but unto Cain and under his offering... God he had not respect and Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell then the Lord said to Cain why are you upset why are you why art thou wroth and why is thy countenance fallen if thou doest well shalt thou not be accepted I don't know that God said it exactly in the inflection I said but it probably wasn't too far too far different than that it's like okay you didn't bring the right offering bring the right offering and we're good But Cain's like, I worked hard on this offering. I grew the largest pumpkin in the whole county. I pulled radishes out and washed them off with my bare hands. I tilled the land for you, God, and you aren't happy? Well, that's not what I asked for. Just do the right thing and you'll be accepted. No, I want you to accept me the way I want to come to you. Well, that isn't how it works, Cain. That isn't how it works. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Sin lieth at the door. It can be eventual. Naaman, he came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the, at the door of the house of Elijah. And I'm sorry, I, I skipped down a little bit. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in, val- uh, in valor. And some of the saddest verse, saddest words in scripture. But he was a leper. I mean, this dude had it all going on. He was like, he had it going on. But the problem was he was a leper. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha because he heard Elisha could heal him. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Elisha sends his servant to the door and says, You deal with your sin, you deal with your leprosy, just go wash in the Jordan seven times, and, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of an important dude. I mean, can't can he even come to the door? And his servants came near. him. am jumping down a little bit. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, Master, or said, um, I'm sorry, and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some, to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have gone and done, uh, done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman was frustrated but, because he had expectations of his interaction with God, how God was going to deal with his sin, with his leprosy as a picture of sin in his life. And instead of accepting, oh, well, that's easy. I could just go wash in Jordan. And I'm, my leprosy will be gone? No. He has to bring, well, I thought it was going to be this, and I thought this was going to happen, and I thought there was going to be a big, I thought I'd hear trumpets playing in the background. Yeah, you know? Right. A what experience? The bale experience. Well, you know, when you were on a mountain, and Elijah was calling down the rain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, He wanted, he wanted yeah, the bale ex- Yeah, he wanted the, the fire coming down from it. I call it the Griswold family Christmas tree moment when you're walking through the, and there's a light shining down. That's the tree, but I didn't bring a saw. Like, like <laughs> people want that, but then somebody speaks truth into Naaman's life and says, well, you were prepared to do whatever, and he just said go wash seven times in Jordan. He's like, oh, you're right. I can get rid of my leprosy. So it can be delayed or eventual, right? It can be restorative. Notice in Psalm 51, David's prayer, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than, sm- than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Like that is someone that's broken. That's somebody that wants a relationship with the Lord. Like Lord do what you got to do in my life to make me clean. Whatever it is. It could be appropriate. In Psalm 34:18 The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. You're going to know when that person in your life finally is broken. Because they're going to be contrite. Pastoring is not that complicated. Sometimes it's hard, but it's not that complicated. When somebody who's been doing wrong finally comes in and and says they want to sit down and talk with me, and they're like, I've been an absolute idiot. I've done this wrong, I've done this wrong, I've done this wrong, and whatever you want me to do to make it right in my relationships with you, with the church, with my loved ones, I'm willing. Whatever you think, I'm just broken. Like, okay, I can work with that. Like, in the pastoral role, I can work with that. God can definitely work with that. Because now they don't come with an agenda. Whatever you want to do is fine. I trust you. Isaiah 66. The Lord saying, but to this man I will look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So if the word says do this, do this, do this, okay, I'm going to do it. I respect it. I fear it couple of uh, verses in Luke 15, 18 through 21. I will, the pro, pro, prodigal son, right? Prodigal son. It's interesting that these these passages are, are reasonably similar and, and similar in context. I will arise and go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And jump down. And the son said unto him, so he actually goes, he said he will do that. And then in verse 21, and he said unto him, Father, I have a sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Like, I'll just be a servant. I'll just do whatever you say, you tell me to do. I don't have to be in charge anymore. I'm done with that. And then Jesus, pointing out the, the publican, praying, standing afar off, would not so much would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote on his breast, upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Like, I'm just throwing myself at the mercy of the court. I'm guilty. Whatever you say, I'll take, I'll deal with, and I'll be okay because my relationship with God is right. You know when somebody is truly repentant. So victory principle number three, Don't double down on your sin. Once you've understood that what you did is sin, like Pharaoh did, don't double down on it and say, well, now I get to direct how this is resolved. No, throw yourself at the mercy of the court. Let God be God in your life. Don't double down and then change and go back to the way it was. There's one more verse. I don't think it's on your on your sheet there's one more verse because the the person hear hear me very clearly the person who says I have sinned I am wicked all my people are wicked everybody I hang with is wicked and then they change and they go back and they sin yet more like Pharaoh did this is the end Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea his chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. As a stone. There's another scripture I didn't include. You know, you want to fall on the rock. You don't want the rock to fall on you. You want to be broken on the rock of Jesus Christ. Trust me, it's humbling, There's probably some snot flying, some tears rolling down your face. But that is a place that God can work with you. When you get pride, when you get haughty, when you get arrogant, and you say, I know I've sinned, but I'm going to sin yet more. Because I've got a hard heart, an adamant stone. Well, (laughs) this is what's going to happen. Maybe not that exact thing. Maybe you won't be in the bottom of the Red Sea. But it'll be pretty close weight of the world you know there, there's a, I actually looked this up a little bit there's, there's quite a bit of discussion about whether people have actually been able to find chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea I'm not sure where I land on it I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you part of me really wants to believe it part of me believes scripture that says the depths have covered them they sank into the bottom as a stone I'm not even sure if you drained the Red Sea if you'd find their stuff. right? Maybe. Maybe you'd find the chariot wheels. And the people sank into the deep. Or into the bottom as a stone. Like. You know what. The, you know what the, the, the end result of the person that looks like. That challenges God. Looks like the surface of the Red Sea. Just a bunch of water. Like they're gone. And it hurts. It hurts because those are real people. Those are real souls. But they chose not. To be contrite or broken before the Lord. My prayer for each of you. Hey, Merry Christmas. We're going to have a party. My prayer for each of you is that you would be broken. That you would be broken. Like that's going to be the best place you could possibly be. Let's pray. Lord.